Kia ora, everybody. What's up? It is Robert, and I'm joined by John Baker. Uh, I just put you as media boss because you are a media yeah. boss. Just, <laughs> you're very kind, mate. You're, you're very kind. Media boss. For those who don't know, um, the the digital content weaponry that is the Arsenal letters, um, that is you. Please go on. You always exaggerate, my friend. You always exaggerate, you're mate. You're a fine. you're a heavy hitter. You, you are. <laughs> don't don't feel bad. This isn't time. You know, take the compliment. You're a, you're a machine, John Baker. Go for it. It's a very sad day for me. Yesterday was a very sad day for me with the Bauer Media announcement of closure mm-hmm. in in New Zealand. You know, I was I spent yesterday in grief. I still feel like I am in grief about what happened yesterday. Mm. Uh, quick context: uh, Who you are, what you do, and your content uh, in your in your lane within the industry oh, world of media. Today, so my background was largely in publishing, which is probably where my grief comes from. But three years ago, I parachuted out of the magazine industry into the media industry. Um, Started working for a very dear friend of mine, Bridget, who, who set up an agency called Lasso Media and PR uh, 18 years ago. So we're one of the largest, if not the largest, independent media and PR agencies now in New Zealand. So um, it's been pretty exciting for me to work on the more on the client side, I guess, of media and having a broader view of media than just um, publishing and, and digital content. As I said, weapon. Um, I don't, man, let's, I guess I'll start personally. House setup good, wifey good, fam good, reset, safe. You see, what were you just saying? You were saying before, lucky, lucky I'm staying at home with someone I'm in love with. <laughs> That's right. I mean, yeah, I'm very lucky that I am, um, you know, in isolation with someone that I love very much. And um, is she listening? Is she behind the camera? She's just behind the camera. Um, dude, I'm, I'm stoking up brownie points like you not believe right now. <laughs> But um, it's true, you know, and, you know, we were talking before about people's mental health and how support is so important at this time. And whilst the endless teleconferences have been a bit of a challenge in their own way, it's still great to have that human contact, see people's faces, see their smile, get their support. Yeah. Um, but to answer the other question, my kids are all okay. My, my, my daughter's in isolation with her boyfriend and her, his family. My son's still working at Air New Zealand. So, um what a tragic case that is, but he's still got a job at the moment. Um, he's working out at the cargo team, which um, they're still pretty busy right now. So everyone's feeling pretty nervous about what's going on in that organization. And Big I head, hey. Oh, Sorry. Totally. And cr- crazy. What's, you know, what's the new airline going to look like? What does the airline industry even look like right after we come out of this, when we come out of this? Um, and I've got a daughter in isolation in Hong Kong. She's been in isolation since January. So, um, Jeez. So, um, yeah. This is the crazy time, crazy time. But luckily, everybody in my life as well. Thank you. How's your family? Um, we're probably very fortunate. We've got a, a good, safe pad. It's got a bunch of space so the kids can run around and, and do their stuff. You know, pool, spa, bouncy castle, all the rest of it, so they can run around like chaos. And got a nice little um, fenced-out section so they can um, do their thing, which is awesome. But um, yeah, even just the, the 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 shifting dynamics of how you balance personal and professional has um, become challenging for most. I want to just jump back to the Air New Zealand thing for a second. From what, $6 billion to $500 million. Crazy. Five po- Imagine losing $5.5 billion in a week and laying off, what, 30%? Was it 30% layoff? Yeah, and I'm amazed actually that they've managed to keep it to 30% um, given that, mm. that level of decline in revenue. And as a business, as a CEO, how do you actually deal with that situation? And from what I can tell so far, he's done a great job from a communication perspective in um, managing that. 
and you know we're very lucky to have an airline as strong as we do and you know it's at these moments where you kind of appreciate government investment so um yeah i think maintaining a strong air new zealand is going to be a massive strategic advantage for us yeah especially yep especially being able to open up the, the new part they're gonna to have to start from scratch again almost like new campaign old market how do they re-engage and it's going to be i'm imagining as well it will be based as well off um probably some health and medical concerns with who's who's not on lockdown who's free to travel then would it be you know do you lock it down to no a vaccines in and you can't fly unless you have the vaccine just there's going to be a whole bunch of i guess pretty big questions that the that that these businesses uh, the governments and stuff need to be able to um answer uh julian andrew says john can you turn up your microphone or maybe just at least maybe, maybe i just get closer julian there How you go that, that sounds better like, you're actually um, just closer oh ali strang's jumped in ali uh <laughs> now this is a convo i want to tune into great collab guys john okay we'll just go straight to the throat ali flipping legend actually ali I'll, I'll send you a link here ali and you can jump in if you want because i think you're, you'd have a great um insight on this too <laughs> yeah, come um, join me ali yeah uh, what's your thoughts on the likelihood of Bowers titles getting snapped up by other companies? Do you think the owned media titles, e.g. Auckland Council, Auckland Council's Auckland Now magazine are safer than the likes of the Listener or Woman's Day, I'm imagining because it's localized, and will Kiora uh, magazine ever live again? I am going to, well, you're, you answer, I'm going to send her a link because I think she has a lot okay. of great stuff to sell. You go. go. Well, uh, well I, no doubt the Auckland Council will still want to communicate with ratepayers, and I think what Bauer did with um, our Auckland, you know, they buy I'll use Robert's phrase, weapon, Ben Fahey, um, was a really great piece of work. So I think... That, weapon. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, I think our Auckland will continue. And so somebody is going to need to look at that. Um, and it's going to come down to what the contractual um, situation is with the council, I imagine. Um, kia ora. That's a hard one because that's going to really be a function of what um, decisions Air New Zealand makes. And yep. I guess in the short term, it's hard to see that being published until there's a vision of what that airline looks like post COVID-19. So, um, but um, yeah, I imagine those two contracts were pretty profitable ones for Bauer and they were doing a great job. So um, hopefully somebody can pick up that, those opportunities. I was just thinking about the digital presence of if Kyoto went online as a, as a content gateway, as yeah, a well, bit of its that, own pivot. Yeah. Well, I think that um, tourism, New it, Zealand, I think that connection, you know, could be made definitely. And what is it, you know, Kyoto could become a sort of broader proposition right around New Zealand tourism. And it's already been leading the charge as far as that's concerned. I think. Are they, are they partnered together already with Tourism New Zealand? Because that seems like that could be a, they might need each other. Um, um, I don't believe so because the distribution for Kyoto was largely domestic. And even though that reaches, you know, um, international tourists, it was taken off the long haul flights quite some time ago now. So it's quite a domestically focused product now. So, but our whole world of tourism needs to change, right? So I think we're going to probably see a time when we're going to be more inwardly focused from a tourism perspective as people yeah. sort of pivot local rather than international. Yeah, it'll be that phase of they'll go four, three, two, one, and it also be like hyper local, local, regional, national, international. It'll be a, there'll be a I'm imagining it'll be a strategic flip with how they do it and pro from a tourism New Zealand and a government and a government side. I'm going to be real interested for the chat with um. Stephen England Hall, when I get it, he's a CEO of Tourism New Zealand, who I'm sure is having all these all these chats. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the other thing with um, Kyoto, what I would really personally love to see is the in, the the, the um, entertainment experience in domestic aircraft improve to have some screens. And 
you start putting some screens in the in the in the domestic planes, then it creates an opportunity for more video content, more what would have been Kyoto magazine content um, mm. created in a sort of more of a broadcast way. And dare I say it, there's going to be a whole bunch of aircraft with in-flight entertainment systems sitting on tarmacs doing nothing. Bro, you know, Billy, all like, around the world. Yeah, yeah uh, even just the, the the maintenance costs on a, on a bunch of them. I'm imagining people might just, they won't even be able to sell them. They'll be like, stuff it, just let it rot. Like those the, the big warships after after the wars and stuff just, just parked up for scrap metal that eventually gets sold to China or whatever. I'm, yeah, I'm, well, there's going to be a lot the, of, you go. This is the sort of downstream effect, right? You know, airlines um, get crushed. Then people who make planes get crushed. The whole infrastructure that supports airlines gets crushed. Um, so the ripples of that sort of roll out quite dramatically. And we're going to see that, you know, across a whole range of industries. And just, you know, scooping back to the bower thing, that's another example of that. So let's talk, let, maybe let's just go to the, the, to the go to bower. Um, huge piece of New Zealand media. Uh, do you think they're the start of a domino of other New Zealand media companies? Because a few of them have been tinkering around for a little bit, like the MediaWorks thing and a few other things that are sort of bouncing around. Do you think this is the end or do you think this is the start? I think yesterday was when shit got real from a media perspective. And, you know, the, the sort of tragedy about all of this is that the media businesses that actually make content, they make news, they make journalism, they do photo shoots, they make video, make TV programs, whatever they might be. You know, you're talking about the broadcasters, the TVNZs, the media works, the publishers, the NZMEs, the stuffs, the magazine publishers, the people who actually make content, radio broadcasters, are the ones that are being mostly disruptive. Yep. It's those, those media companies that actually don't make anything that actually just are distribution channels for other people's media that are actually making all the money. And that is a fundamental mm. problem that we have to sort of face, you know, and even you think of it out of home, you know, out of home, I love out of home, you know, it's a fantastic platform for brand advertising, but it's basically a real estate business. They're kind of the Airbnb of media, you know, so they don't make anything. They just put up um, the platform, yep. they put up the platform. And in that respect, they're not too dissimilar to the likes of Facebook, which has just created a platform for people's content and they're not actually investing themselves. And this is where I think there's an option. Sorry, carry on. No, no it's, just, it's interesting because, yeah, Facebook doesn't pay for its own content. They're the conduit for the middle. Is the goal here be the middleman and you just uses everyone else's shit and you just stay as the, the middleman as a distribution network? Well, I, I don't know. I've been thinking about this a little bit. And if you look at what happened in telco and utility, there was a separation of... Um, of retail distribution and, and and effectively generation in the case of electricity um, and in the case of um, telco, a separation of distribution and retail. And I kind of think the government needs to look at this and how they fund content creation. That's mm. what we need to actually consider is how do we create a, a, a healthy media environment where we can fund storytelling in all its formats and let the distribution arms operate separately to that perhaps you know that's one solution you know yeah i forget who i was talking to about it. My, i'm talking to so many people about all this shit and it's all starting to blur into one but we we're talking about the same person uses um the same uses the same products from two different companies so telcos you know I, i'm using spark or vodafone or two degrees or, or whatever it may be and i'm just cranking data and data companies are crushing and stoked and and happy then 
I um, go onto uh, media platforms and their business model is, is stuffed and no one's making any money and it's just kind of weird. I'm consuming more of the content than ever before and all of the and, and media companies are dying when the consumption's highest than ever and then I'm sitting on the other side and it's like but I'm using a different entity is like is the entire media model broken what is the is this a um, is it an advertising issue is it a paywall issue is it a subscription issue is it a you know what I mean because like right now media companies are hurting like shit when people are consuming more content than ever people are using data and data's winning in telco do you think there's just some, something's wrong right something's wrong yeah there's a lot that's wrong and, and all of those things you mentioned um, are, are kind of examples of that. And, you know, everyone's been talking about this for a long time, who actually gives a shit, is that we need to really think about how we change the model to enable us to have local, original journalism, storytelling, entertainment, whatever it is, because the advertising model is broken and actually has been for quite some time. And it's no one's fault. It's just the way things have evolved, you know, and, but actually that, you know, the current advertising funded model for media and content is a relative recent thing. It's kind of, you know, was largely a function of the second half of the um, 20th century post, you know, second world war. So, you know, it's not like it's been around for that long, you know, but um, yeah, and don't ask me what that is, mate. I don't know. I get it. Um, I've got some great news for you, John. Would you like the right news? Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Ali Strang. Ali. Hello. Hey, uh, guys. Ali Strang, award-winning writer, editor, content strategist, media weapon <laughs> of her own right. Please introduce yourself to the gang. Hey. Um, well, I am the former editor of Ideologue Mag for two years, and I actually worked under John for a while there as well, so that's how I know him and have a good working relationship. He was a shit boss, eh? Just <laughs> he's pretty, he's pretty average. I can say that now. I'm not employed by him. It's fine. Ali, yeah. um, <laughs> let's talk about. You've seen this this media landscape um, shift on its flip and head as well in, in this last little bit. What's your initial take up on? Um, maybe we'll start it, we'll start with Bauer. Yeah, um, I I was actually out for a walk yesterday and then someone messaged me on Facebook with the news and I literally stopped and kind of got almost a bit teary-eyed with shock because, oh my gosh, it was just such a massive uh, surprise and such a blow to the media landscape. Um, I mean, I talked about it in the LinkedIn post as well. Um, Bauer were our main competitor at ICG and when I was at Idealog and we'd always kind of like give them a good ribbing at the awards nights and say they were our rivals and stuff, but you never want your rival to, to go under completely. Like you want that healthy sense of competition there. And um, the magazine industry is so small. The media industry is so small that I've got lots of um, former co-workers and friends working there. I think John shouted out um, Ben Fahey, who was a huge, hugely influential person in my life um, and in my working career. So yeah, I'm just really feeling for them all. It's hectic yeah it's always that sad one where i, I call it co-opetition you know you don't you d if if they if they drop off and go into oblivion there's 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 nothing and it actually it weakens the whole the whole thing and it's sort of it, it's been quite maybe quite cool in a way because i've been like yesterday obviously you had your post up and quite a few other people in the new zealand media industry that were competitors or they were the kryptonite or whatever everyone's coming out like 
this sucks, you know, like yeah. it's, like it's one of ours. It's, it's, it's really sort of painful. And I'll, maybe I'll ask you the, the same question. Ali. Do you feel that the, the Bauer is the first domino of many, or do you think it is, that is a, it is a anomaly? Do you mean in the media industry or as yeah, a in whole? Yeah, in the media. In the, in the media, like obviously, um, because here we go. So Roger was asking, how do you think media works be around for blah blah blah? You know, other different media companies. Do you think this is this um could potentially be the first of other other media companies to go? Um, I there's definitely that possibility. I think because they were already all in such a tough position dealing with their own set of problems anyway, and this is just another layer of difficulty on top of that. But I guess Bauer was quite unfortunate in the sense they were owned by a overseas media company that doesn't have as much of a personal connection, or I guess their heart's not as much in it as the New Zealand-owned media companies, for example. So they could kind of make a heartless decision like that more easily. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've got friends that work at, across lots of different, um, companies and media and they're all asked to take leave or take pay cuts or kind of really facing uncertain times as well. So it's quite ugly out there. Mm. John? Yeah, it's, ugly. it's ugly. Yeah. I, I agree with Ellie. I think everybody's under pressure. I think yesterday when I said shit got real, this is an example of a big company going under. We kind of expect that it could be the little guys that might go first. So, um, but yes, it was a, a obviously quite a brutal decision made by um, by Bauer, and you know, heart goes out to all those people. But um, I don't think COVID nineteen alone was responsible for this, um, mm -hmm. but it probably accelerated something um, and made the decisions need that needed to be happened at pace, given the government's decision to make magazines. Um, non-essential non because you said that I think 24 um, John you might have to um, sit a bit just a bit closer to it because the mic's coming from the computer not your um, not your headphones yeah oh. it's um, like even if you look at if, if let's say this you were saying the power should be in this, these, this, the content creators but if you look within you know 48 hours of um, us going to level 4 you know buddy of mine is involved in the in the, in the event space you know that they lost 7 million dollars of bookings within 24 hours got pumped if you look at all these small freelancers little video production companies photography little businesses all these other little things their entire runway of events in that event space gomberg is done all these different the actual creators themselves has, has created this massive crazy wash and, and i was talking to someone in the agency landscape not too long ago and i said well wouldn't this be the time for like an amazing potential cloud opportunity for these creatives to get together that's a bit more commercial like what what would where do you see the the end, the end of this thing. I, I, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll start maybe with you, um, John, to to ask is, what happens to all these creators and all these talent? Like, where where do they go? What do they, where do they do? Is there, do they just go themselves on Patreon and do their own supporter mm -hmm. shit? Do they, like, what? How does? It, where do creators go? Where do good this this? Where does all this amazing talent? I mean, Bell was was it two hundred and eighty people? Was it? I, I, yeah, and your yeah. point is, and 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 a, a whole. You know, sort of raft of freelance photographers, you know, um, journalists, writers who contributed to the um, those those magazine titles, and you know the industry's been, you know, um, you know the freelance world has been a big part of media for a long time now. And as we've had as media owners have had to outsource some of that content rather than having in-house writers and and that kind of thing. So, yeah, the impact is massive. The yeah. it, it's going to be huge, and and it goes beyond just that, mate. The, the, even the things like the magazine distribution channel into retail, which is effectively underwritten oh, by yeah. power, given their scale. So, 
if there are no bower titles, then there are no supermarkets selling magazines, you know, for instance, you know, so this, there are yeah. some size, seismic impacts of this bower thing. Mm. Ellie? Yeah, I mean, I, I would like for all those talented creative people to stay in the media industry, but I think, you know, already just with maybe like the people I graduated journalism with alone, about maybe 70 to 80% are now in comms roles or PR roles or different industries now because the journalism industry isn't that sustainable. So I think with a shock like this, like they may end up going elsewhere into new industries as storytellers and communicators and I mean I'd hope for them to get employment and snap those roles up because they need their livelihoods to survive but it's also quite sad for the for the creative industry and the media industry you know and you know that um, mate, you know as yourself there's uh, there's been a lot more brand content stuff happening in the market for a number of years now and yeah many brand many brands who are doing it right are creating their own media channels and mm. disintermediating the sort of third party media anyway so i think if you're if you've got talent there'll be opportunities absolutely i think ellie's ellie's right about that they'll just be yeah different. yeah you're probably, probably right definitely on that one ellie because if you think about it you know if, if if brands now are looking at it and if these talented content creators maybe they shouldn't be reliant on the middleman maybe they go direct to brand the creators sit internal you know if you maybe that might be a not expecting to, to to give your cv to another agency or to another media company it might actually be going to a brand that you love a brand that you you're passionate about a brand that you can add value to with story direct for them to go but then there's going to be this pressure the other way because i'm imagining then you're going to put pressure up the chain in these businesses to figure out where do they they shift their different their marketing models if they decide to do we have an agency or do we go in-house do you think that's going to be that next pressure wave Probably one for John more than me. <laughs> John? Um, well, I think the, the, all those dynamics you talked about are just going to get accelerated. I think that's absolutely the case. And it's you know it's a case-by-case -case basis. You know, I think there's always opportune um, reasons to insource things and there's always reasons to outsource things. And it's about getting that balance right. But, you know, I, I don't think that, that in itself is a solution, though, because hmm. you know, I'm a firm believer that we still need independent, original media of all kinds mm. to inform entertain inspire kiwis to do things, to understand things better um and it's not just about news you now and i think that that news is obviously really critical and you know we've seen that now more than ever but you know there is opinion there is um, and you know right cascading down which is where i got a little bit um unhappy with the government's position again going back to that on magazines is that you know, there are people um, who need the inspiration that they get from those magazine titles. You know, there are tens of, there are actually hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders who subscribe to magazines, be they monthlies or bi-monthlies or their weeklies, um, because they add enormous value to their lives, you know. And by saying on Monday, I believe it was, that magazines weren't an essential service, effectively the government stopped people having access to that content that um, mm. created that, that value. And... No, no, I've not seen anyone talk about this yet, but one thing about magazine subscriptions, and I, you know, I, I, I love the subscription model, is you pay for them in advance, you know, so if you buy a subscription to a magazine, you pay for it for a year in advance, there's a whole bunch of people who have paid for stuff that aren't going to get it, and who's going, to, who's going to be responsible for that, and we're not talking about a few hundred people or a few thousand, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, potentially, you know, so... Um, 
know, the people who've got their subscription to The Listener or to Metro Magazine or North or South or FQ or whatever, you know, who's going to pick up the tab for something that they've already paid for in advance? Mm. And what the government did was effectively say, you can't have something that you've paid for. And I, mm. you know, I question that. Are you, are you yeah. smell a class action lawsuit coming on against the government for their, li for their listener subscription? Give me my $25 back. Well, you've got 30,000 people and $25 do the maths, you know? Yeah, I, I think one of the, one ahead, of the things that came up in discussions yesterday was um, it's just such a tragedy because at the moment with everyone at home during this pandemic, people are consuming information more than ever and the fourth estate is so important right now but we've seen this massive closure of one of the biggest media companies in New Zealand so it's just yeah bad timing and really unfortunate the uh Julian Andrews says the listener was originally owned by the government do you see a world where that might happen again and he is a vision storyteller at Callahan Innovation sub Julian hey Jules Answer that question, I think, oh, yeah, I can just imagine Helen Clark editing the listener. I think she'd be perfect at that. <laughs> we'll get her on the show. The listener's new editor-in-chief, Helen Clark. Um, but it, it, does, it, it does raise a point, though, right? You go, go for it. Go for it, John. I was just saying, no disrespect to Pamela Sterling, who is an amazing editor of that. Um, oh, my gosh. She's not in lockdown with you. Your wife is. You don't need to suck up to her. You're fine. Um. Any thought? Any thoughts, Ali? Where the government might start owning its own media? I mean, it's hard to see that as being an independent publication. I don't know. I I, I didn't know about that. So, yeah, I'm just trying to picture it in my head. I mean, you know, the the power of news media is it um, holds the powerful accountable. So, if the government owns it, that gets a little bit more blurry and. Uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit unethical, but depends how they'd run it. But Auntie Helen wants to read. So her Auntie list. Helen is very <laughs> honourable. I trust her as the editor any day. <laughs> no, but it does. I think it opens up an interesting point, right? We had a Carl Budge on very briefly um, on an earlier show, and he's the ASB Classic Tennis Tournament director, and he was talking about government potentially have to come in to help sport. Well, if a government mm -hmm. is going to come in and doing bailouts, it's like, well, what about media? Because if, if you know, exactly yeah. to your point around escapism, what, just because I experienced something in person, the, are you rating that higher than if I want to, you know, Auntie Helen with her listener and a green tea or whatever she's into? You know, it, it's a, it opens up a a little bit of can of worms because at what point what does the what is the government responsible to pay for really right like because yeah it's an interesting one mm. yeah and what interests are prioritized kind of thing mm. yeah and and you know who's to say the listener is actually more important than you know nadia magazine in the case of bauer or fashion quarterly or home magazine you know I'm, i i think that's a there's a sort of an inherent sort of snobbery in that a little bit you know mm. um and if things bring people joy and inspiration, then that, that's a value that's worth acknowledging too, you know. Um, but just on the subject of the listener, there's a really nice piece by Tim Watkin on Radio New Zealand's website that was published this morning. Um, didn't realise that Tim was a deputy editor of The Listener. There's a bit of a history of the magazine there, actually, if you uh, want to check that out. Very cool. Uh, oh, the bro JT. What about sport? Any thoughts, John? Uh, Ellie's the sports expert, I would have thought here, right? 
Excuse me, I ran a business magazine too. Really okay, things. Justin, if you're still listening, <laughs> jump on. I'll, I'll, send, I'll send Justin the link. He's more than welcome to jump in. about sport though? What about sport? I mean, I guess sport's such an important part of society. And, you know, once we can get out of this, you know, whenever we do, um, I'm sure there's going to be a massive, you know, um, the renaissance in professional and amateur sport. And I hope so, you know, and um, broadcasting rights for those things are still going to be just as important as they were beforehand. Yeah, yeah I mean, do you, do you think that this is essentially like a freeze period? Like we've seen the likes of, I was at Radio Sport shut down, but they will come back eventually in time when that interest and in-person participation is there. It's just a temporary thing or do you see it lasting longer than that? I don't think Radio Sport's coming back. I think it's gone burgers. Yeah, but the, well, well, others, sucks about yeah, so you go. Will others pop up in their place though? Because the demand will be there eventually again, right? From what I've seen, <laughs> I feel that the talent is going on social, but then the issue is how do you commercialize social? Yeah, right. Um, I'll tell I'll tell a story about a, a friend of mine. Um, he's in the music landscape. He's done pretty well for himself, and he said, "If I go to the if I go to the local dairy and I pick up the the newspaper and if I look at the ad on the front page and it's a Heineken and whatever, and they're playing a, a CPM rate of, you know, however much it is, you know, hundred grand for the day or whatever. And then I go home, why do I, when I pick up my phone and I look at the Twitter feed, why doesn't the same, even if it's my same eyeball, why is it costed differently on different mediums that you can't um, commercialize it better? And it was just like a, it was an interesting thing saying, you know, what is the pricing model of, um, your attention is still your attention, but why is it priced so differently on all these different things? And and so now is a really interesting time because there's going to be all this talent, all this stuff going on to social, but the, for businesses themselves, whether it's a pipeline behind a paywall that they might be getting to or whatever, you start to just look at all the different models of, you know, if, if how is it possible to commercialize on social? Is it? Because if not, you're going to have a whole bunch of, um, you know, just talent creating stuff, but for free online for nothing really, right? Like it's, it, it's some way bigger sort of, sort of question. Yeah, it's pretty stuffed. It is a big question. It's, you know, I think that's why some of the traditional models, you know, like, you know, Sky TV, you can, you can probably do an I told you so to Ben Fahey about that one, actually, mate. Um, but <laughs> I talked I to him that. yesterday. I... <laughs> Did but, he even um, pu publish that interview? Because we went, we went head to head, I think. No. Yeah. No, okay. It was too loose. No. Anyway, we had a great banter about it. But yeah, continue. Yeah. I think pay per view, <laughs> it's going to be a pay per view model, right? Whatever the platform is. And, Going back to your other question, you know, and, and possibly bringing it back to the magazine industry, is that not every platform has the same cost of distribution. You know, so um, yeah, magazines are a very expensive way to publish content. That is a key problem. You know, the distribution channel of print is very expensive, and you know, um, but at the same time, there's a legacy of people being used to paying for magazines, be it at the newsstand or, or um, subscription. So we just have to sort of replicate this subscription model into the digital world in a better way, you know. Paul, Paul Baines just said, could the subscriptions move to email or another digital platform? I guess it's just another name for a, for a platform. And then Eric says, the problem with social that there's no skin in the game for the personal publisher. There's no skin in the game because there's no cost of distribution today. People should focus on finding new distribution models. Eric, that seems like a pretty insightful thing. Well, I would ask you the question back. What would that new distribution model where you could pay? So say if you were someone working at Bauer right now, what would that distribution look like? Because I don't think anyone's really cracked that, right? Has anyone cracked 
paid media well? Not yet. Mm. Um, but I, apart from what we're seeing with the likes of the global platforms like Netflix and Amazon yeah. Prime and Disney, etc., you know, it's been it's been fantastic to see um, NZME have a crack with their paywall. I think that's probably gone better than people expected it to. Um, from a personal experience point of view, um, I have a, we have a corporate sub through the agency, we pay for it. Um, so I use it through my business, but at the same time, having experienced it, I would be happy to pay the amount they're asking to access their premium content. Um, so I just think we're just gonna have to get used to paying for digital media in different ways. But in itself, that's Table. still not gonna provide the solution. That the the mm. market is broken at the moment. And that, I think that's where the government needs to get its hand in its back pocket and start um, putting more money into the content creation side of the media industry. Are you saying doubling down like the New Zealand on air funding to go wider into digital platforms? Oh, they've already done that in terms of their, their, their the width they've gone. It's not just so broadcast focused as it used to be. And you know, some great examples of that, some of the work the spin-offs done that have been supported by um, that, that, um, that fund and others. Uh, I just think it needs to be bigger. It just needs to be a lot more money, a lot more money. What's your, I mean, Ali, you're jumping into the into, into the mix and you've had experience in this game. When you look to the ecosystem right now, do you, as a net net, why do you think it's broken? Where do you think it's broken? Yeah. Um, just the, the advertising model basically is still trying to figure its way out. Um, the best way to pay for media and content, as John said before, um, so many companies choose to put the advertising dollars towards Facebook and Google, for example, instead of more traditional mediums. And I guess that's where magazines really struggled because the, the formula they had that worked for so long now no longer works, but everyone's mm. trying to figure out what actually would work in 2020 or previous years, you know? And it probably puts even more stress on it more than ever because not only is every single person stuck at home, every single physical business is trying to figure out how to be a digital business and every single person that is doing that is it's flooding the market with more and more and more stuff, right? It's, a, it's, the, it's the wave of everyone trying to do the same thing. So every brand's trying to become its own media company, doing whatever. Um, sh sh yeah, perfect example. Yeah, shout out to every man and his dog are now doing interviews. I mean, it's free. It's tech. Everyone <laughs> does it. But the same thing. It's it's like everyone rushes when there's these moments. And and I, you kind of wonder if you're a if you're a, a publisher right now or a, someone that's sitting in the middle on distribution. If you're just pausing, saying, okay, well, not only are we at potential competition against all of um, our other, I guess, traditional competitors, but you know, like one of the ideas I'd said for ages ago was when John Campbell left MediaWorks and TV3. I did an article of what I thought he should have done, which was essentially launch his own paywall. I think he had like 140,000 Twitter subscribers and we worked out even if 20,000 of them paid a, a, a dollar a week, um, he'd have a million dollar business for a couple of staff for him to just do what his thing and shit, you'd, you'd do that. And so you wonder then, do, do distributors or, or, or these platforms in the middle actually genuinely start to think that the, the talent themselves can just start to go direct? You just kind of wonder, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's... Oh, sorry, John. Uh, I will, it's just something we did struggle at Ideologue with as well, is we had this um, standalone uh, media publication. We weren't answering to anyone. We had that integrity and that trust. But so many of the companies we talked to or advertisers we talked to would be running their own blogs or news websites, and they'd be like, why do we need you? 
yeah. um, because they're doing they're, they've got their own channel. But I think it all comes back with the the media. The advantage of it is it is that third person um, integrity, trusting like role in society. You know, when you're pushing your own stories out on your own channels, people don't know if they're kind of being taken advantage or what angle you're coming at it from. So that is the power of the media, what it all comes back to. Um, and trust I know brand, like kind of tr- trust, like the, the trust, trust brand. yeah. And I know the New York times, for example, is someone who's managed to master that and their, you know, sales and revenue are up massively because they've got all these subscribers on board and there's that huge t- trust and integrity in the New York times brand. But I don't think, many have managed to replicate that successfully in media either so yeah it's almost like a point i'll let you go in a sec john but just the, the idea of i think there's something in that ali because if you if you win through brand with trust whatever you're selling underneath it gets bought into opposed to individuals without that stamp on the top of it there's an instant thing of like why why am i trusting you because it's not their brand so so in a, yeah. in a weird way you kind of wonder if you're a ceo or any of this is how do you become that trusted authority or how do you win through brand when it has intent i mean yeah john yeah i think going back to your earlier point about you know um you know privateer john campbell i think the thing that probably goes against that a little bit is that in order for john campbell to do what he does he needs an army of people behind him researchers producers you know writers cameramen, you know, a platform. Um, and so it's very hard for individuals to operate in that world, I think, you know, and I think mm. so you need, you need, you need an infrastructure to do that kind of stuff. And do, you, know, do you, I think you do, you know, to do it well, continuously. Yeah. Um, and to, prov- and to provide it in a credible way, I think you do need it. And maybe some of these infrastructures are fatter than they needed to be. And, you know, they're getting, progressively skinned down, but you still need them, in my opinion. Um, it's just like if you're going to broadcast a, you know, a sports match, you know, a football game or whatever, you know, you might say, oh, well, I can do a Facebook Live video from my phone. And in theory, you could broadcast a, you know, a football match on my phone on Facebook Live, but the experience will be shit, right? So, hmm. you know, you need, the, you need basic infrastructure, you need talented people to be able to pull that stuff together and funding that gets hard. And I think um, picking up on Ellie's point, I think she's right about those trusted brands. But the other point, the challenge that New Zealand's got, as opposed to the New York Times, is the size of our market is so small. Mm. So, mm. You know, the cost of creating a piece of content for 4 million people is the same as cost you know, creating a piece of content for 250 million people, right? You know, so yep. we've got it all against us. Um, yeah. Have you, have you heard that stat, John, that we have the highest amount of magazines per capita in the world in New Zealand? <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think like the diversity you know, of the market for compared to the amount of people. Yeah, it's a classic New Zealand thing, right? We we like to yeah. go out and do do shit ourselves, and it's and, like to charities. It's like thirty thousand of them. It's like yeah. One of my one of my my favorite magazines is Homestyle Magazine, which is published by an independent um, group, um, and it's um, Nick Ellis and Juliet, basically with um, with some um, freelance sub editing help that pulled together, you know, what is an incredibly amazing international standard, you know, home design magazine. Um, and they do it on the smell of an oily rag. Kiwis have been doing that for so long. Um, and um, it's amazing to see. And it's distressing to see how difficult it is for them now. And going back to my earlier point, you know, my friends at Homestyle are not going to find it any easier because Bauer doesn't exist. They'll actually find it harder, you know. And yeah. 
I do hope those titles get picked up by others. I hope there's some power moves going on there, mate. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> which we can't talk about. Uh, so there, just quickly, I'll say, uh, uh, he said, playing the devil's advocate, aren't Bauer just staying ahead of the digital tech curve and using this as an opportunity to bow out of print media? A cynical corporate move, but an inevitable one and the perfect opportunity to do it. Just big business doing its thing. And pointing the finger at the government, by the way, my mother has subscribed to a couple of magazines, so she's very upset. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then Julian Andrews, man, Julian's thrown some hammers in here. He's like, Jeff, Jeff Bezos owns the Wall Street Journal. Mike Bloomberg owns Business Week. Stephen Tindall owning Nadia and FQ? Question mark. Or listener for Auntie Helen. <laughs> <laughs> I think anything's possible. I think um, there is there is definitely the potential for some uh, wealthy benefactors who see a bigger picture than just a commercial model to get involved in this. Um, why not? I think anything, nothing's, nothing is off the table right now. He, he said that with this little sneaky little smirk. Like it feels like he knows something that we don't, doesn't it, Ali? Doesn't it feel like he's he knows something we don't? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Starting the rumor mill going. <laughs> uh, uh, so Eric actually said, "I don't have an answer for the distribution problem, unfortunately. For transparency, I run a New Zealand-based SaaS business who actually had Bauer as a client. Our business has seen an increase in activity through COVID. I actually met you a bit, but you probably remember me considering how many you met." <laughs> Well, if I saw your face, if it wasn't your profile, I'm really, really good with faces with locations. But um, yeah, you, it's um, what's the ninja move here, right? Because we've kind of seemed to have circled around the same thing with media. You know, the paywalls were lot were tr were trying to be introduced before Corona. Um, MediaWorks has tried to make plays. Everyone's tried to make these different moves for the last time, and this has just kind of amplified everything up. What's the what's the ninja move here that no one's either talking about or thinking about? Is it telcos buying a media company? Is it governments launching their own shit? Is it like what's the? Is it a collective of these creators with some type of automated paywall? What's the flipping ninja move in media for New Zealand? Well, if I knew the answer to that, mate, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> what? Because what? Because I share I share it. My, I share my thoughts so openly. I've just said I've just given a couple there. But what I'm, could it be? I might have a ninja move happening. You know, who knows? No, I don't. I have no idea what the ninja move is. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> um, I mean, going back to the point of wealthy benefactors, um, a model with the magazines that have worked in the past is owned media. You know, they generally tend to do a lot better than the magazine that's standalone trying to pull money from many different places. So, Maybe that is the answer. Maybe a big business or um, benefactor should buy into these really awesome trusted titles. I'll ask a question to both of you. What are you most fearful of after all this in the media landscape? What are you most fearful of? Lack of diversity. Yeah. And, you know, in all its forms, you know, creative forms, mm. language forms, um, ethnic forms. Uh, one of the things that's great about New Zealand is diversity and we need, um, you know, a range of opinions from all different perspectives to live and breathe to, for us to be a functioning society. Uh, and I think that's the thing that I fear the most. And if the government ends up becoming the dominant owner of media of TVNZ and Radio New Zealand, I think that um, there's a risk of loss of diversity of opinion and holding the government to account actually is the thing that um, we have most to fear. 
Yeah, and I think the power the power of magazines and even the smaller local newspapers is they'd get to tell the more niche stories that wouldn't necessarily get covered on the likes of TVNZ or the Herald. So if more of them to start to drop off, then more of those stories aren't being told and we lack that diversity again, like John's saying. And there's so many stories in New Zealand to go around, so many amazing ones. So we want to keep that diversity up. What about if it was just a media platform with no ads? at all just nothing <laughs> just no ads so it was just straight to the journalists and you just were the the little play in the middle um paul bain says as media platforms produce more clickbait headlines they have lost a lot of trust mm. Pro probably probably agree there paul yeah and i think there's a lot of you know there's people the big players get criticized that particularly the big publishers um NZME and stuff but that's actually a function again of the advertising model when you start selling by impressions then your business pivots to delivering impressions and clickbait or whatever one you want, want to call it delivers more impressions. And so it's as simple as that. And I guess before blaming the media companies, and I'm not going to do that, I blame us as a society because if people didn't click on that stuff, they wouldn't be serving the impressions and the publishers wouldn't deliver that content. So it's a sort of circular thing. Yeah, I, I remember seeing on Twitter like years ago, um, everyone was bitching about the media's coverage of Max Key and just like what he was up to day to day, just like real mundane stuff. And then I was going on stuff and the top red story was Max Key goes to Australia with girlfriend or just something like that. And, you know, people are actually clicking on these stories, like they're getting what they're served up for a reason, you know, like you've got to watch your own um intake of the media as well <laughs> and not click on those clickbaity articles in the first first week of march not feed the um, beast um i was doing some judging for the voyager media awards which um seems quite ironic at the moment but um the judging panel was looking at online at the 10 most popular stories for that week um bearing in mind this is the beginning of march so covid 19 had started and it was pretty heavy you know in in the world at that stage but only one of the top 10 stories was COVID-19 related. The other nine were stories related to the collab between Whitakers and whoever it was, I can't remember, for the ice cream. Yeah. So nine of the 10 most read stories in New Zealand for the first week of March on online news platforms was an ice cream. <laughs> so it kind of puts a different spin on the conversation that we're having, doesn't it? You know, so... I think yeah. as a society, we need to start taking responsibility a little bit for what's happening to us. And, and, the, and the advertising metrics as well, do we measure just by the views alone or do we measure by the impact? Is there a way to measure that, the impact the story has rather than the number of eyeballs on it, you know? Mm. Yeah, well, there's, just, a, there's a bit of work that's been done on that um, around things like dwell times and what have you, but um, it's pretty inexact, right? Yeah, I'm just going back to your, your point there, John, around the um, the clickbait uh, sort of thing, and and I totally agree. And I've been kind of calling it out is um, if their business, their advertising model wasn't based on you know impressions, the editors not sitting there. Like, okay, yeah, let's definitely go. Yep, full caps pandemonium. Yep, that's gonna do it. Yep, all right, <laughs> cool. You know, like that that wouldn't be part of the equation. But the danger that I um, feel with with their like I blame, I blame their advertising model. Why a seventy-five-year-old is freaked out that can't actually get toilet paper or or 
um, a loaf of bread from Pack and Save around the corner, right? Because you think mm -hmm. of the flow on effect. And that's why one of the first things I actually said was I have never truly felt the, the real power of media until after I saw how the real world physically was reacting. People get into fights at Countdown. Like mm -hmm. all this stuff was, these things were happening. It's like, wait a second, guys, this is their advertising model in some small part has literally a direct effect on flipping, you know, Granny Meredith not being able to, you know, get shit from the supermarket. People, this panic buying, all this other stuff. And so I, I don't even think it's broken. I, I like your idea about that idea of diversity because it's almost just making us stop for a second and think a bit wider. Like where are we getting it from and what's the thing behind it? The danger that I kind of feel with it is if they don't, I guess, address some of that soon, it's going to be, you know, reliable data equals reliable results. It's going to be the same, same shit. If the advertising model stays the same, then not, nothing's going to change because they're going to need the views, right? It, it gets me a little bit bummed that, but at the same time, I think of this as a great reset to potentially think of something bigger that could be better, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where the, there's that tension between what Ellie was talking about, about trusted media brands um and that that effect that you're talking about that which undermines trust of media because of the advertising model you know and mm. you know and so that 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 tension is real and it's mm. getting worse you know by the day at the moment you know so who do you believe becomes you know a, a point you know and there are time, there actually are some brands out there that probably from a content perspective are more trusted than the news organizations right now 100 percent. Uh, yeah you know, yeah so, um, so the dynamic is shifting, you know, and when we start talking about, you know, you talk about what, going back to your point though, Robert, about um, creating your own media. I mean, I'm sure this has played out across, you know, hundreds of communities across New Zealand and the, and the world, but my neighbor at where I live in, in, in um, Freeman's Bay set up a WhatsApp group for the neighborhood and everyone's sharing yarns with each other on WhatsApp, including, you know, how long's the queue at New World or, you know, is it better, is it better to go to Countdown this morning? You know? Hyperlocal. Um, totally hyper local you know and um so we're creating our own media now right and we have been doing that for mm. a long time but um i would say our whatsapp channel is probably at the moment more trusted around community information than anything else that we're consuming right now hmm that's good it's been a good it's been a good yarn team um for special guest ali strang I had to run and brush my hair because I knew that's why it took three minutes. <laughs> I was just fresh out of bed. I was like, oh no, I'm being called into a live stream, but it's tidy up. Uh, I think everyone who knows me knows my, 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 my attire stands are pretty low. I think everyone's doing better than me. Even John's <laughs> bed's looking solid. It's flipping great. Are you growing that out, John? Um, no, it's just, you know, it's Friday, I guess, but it's, there's a lot more gray in it than the photo that you, that you used on the, um, on the post, mate. So, um, I know I, I, I thought about that too, but then I was just going, I was like, do I go and snake all your, your, your non-smiling photos on Facebook? And I figured that one was more of a professional look. Um, thanks so much, both of you. Any, um, last, last little words there for you, um, Ali and then John? I think we should just keep these kind of discussions going because they're really um, helpful and productive to the future of where New Zealand media is heading and maybe more people outside the media bubble and sphere are aware of the challenges being faced now and we can brainstorm solutions and get people from across different industries thinking about it. So, yeah. John, yeah. last words from the, from the media boss dogger? I agree with that. Also, just last shout out to Bauer. 
um, feeling for yeah. you guys. And it's not just yeah. about the editors and the journalists. And, and whilst I don't want to diminish that, they are really important. But you know, there's a whole bunch of people in ad sales and marketers and you know subbies and and um, designers. There's a, um, a whole sort of army of people that it takes to pull together media. And often it's the journalists and the editors that people focus on because the important role they make in society. But um, you know, there's a whole bunch of people that are affected beyond that too. So um, mm. my heart goes out to you guys. It's a sad day. Maybe, um, John, you could pull together a um, get Fahey in the mix as well. So a secret squirrel and Ali um, content creators chat to talk about something. Maybe we could we could make something happen. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a plan. Yeah, well, wouldn't it be great if the you know a bunch of people from Bauer decided to buy the business themselves? You know, um, mm. so um, you know, I'm sure there's some, there'll be some people in that organisation who are thinking that right now. Take titles. Yeah, get a bank to bank roll. When, when um, stuff got out of magazines, we're probably running out of time. But when stuff got out of magazines, you know, well, got out of most of their magazines, what happened was the um, people who worked on those titles effectively bought them off that organisation, and they've pretty much all, as far as I can tell, have gone on to be successful. So um, why not? And wouldn't that be great? I'm sure, considering the personal relationships of certain people running different titles to some of their biggest supporters, knowing what it would mean for them, I'm sure there's a bit of leverage if they were to do that to potentially lock them into some type of longer-term partnership deal, scale it up commercially to be able to bankroll a couple of stuff to kick it off. Maybe, yeah. Because mm. I think people actually, people actually give a shit, and so they should. Mm. Yeah. And it's a mainstream news story now, so everyone's heard what they've just been through. So there'll be more passion behind those brands if they were to continue onwards to keep them going. I'm telling you, Auntie Helen's about to bankroll the listener. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, work team. Thanks so much for your time. Always, Thank always you. appreciate the, the brains and the thinking. And um, I'm sure plenty in the media landscape will have a sc scope through this and probably pick out a few gems. So appreciate your time, team. Love your work. Thank you. Thanks for letting me crash this. Hell yeah. Ali, do what you want. <laughs> Boss dog. Uh, absolutely love it. Good, good media banter. Flippin', I haven't had one of those with, with, with John and stuff for a while. I've always been extremely um, passionate about the media landscape and the models and all the rest of it. And it's kind of clear, even in 2020, there still isn't a, a clear winner that's winning yet with the paywall stuff. Um, obviously, issues around sport. Does government start to own media? Does that start to change the way the, the, the fundamental dynamic shift around power and voice to power and all the rest of it? So there's definitely a lot... Um, a lot going on there. So, yeah, thanks so much to John Baker, absolute good bastard, and Ali Strang, total weapon as well that's joining the mix. Uh, thanks for tuning in, team. See you on the next one. Doses.